So we're continuing our series today. We're looking, we've come back to Acts and we're now, we've reached Acts 15. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Um, We're going to be reading from there in a moment. But this morning, I really felt like God wanted to remind us that we are his chosen people. That right from the beginning, when he called Abraham, and he called him from Ur of the Chaldeans, and he called him to eventually the promised land where the people of God were established. God has always had a chosen people that he's led, and today we are part of that chosen people. We are a people of God's grace. What a wonderful truth. So, you know, God has always been a God who loves his people. God loved his people. He rescued them when they're in trouble. God has always sought to show his glory to his people. And he's always sought to establish (laughs) and maintain relationship with them. And you know, we see this all through the Old Testament. But you know, there's always been an element, and we'll see this in a moment in the passage that we're looking at, where there's been a small group of people who ask questions about what you need to do to be saved. That there are things that perhaps we need to do in order to enjoy and to know God. There's that question or temptation that we feel like we might need to do something in order to receive or be loved by God. That there's some merit or some effort on our behalf that means that God will love us more. This morning I want to look briefly at how easy it is for us to drift back into this mindset that it's something that we need to do in order to be saved, in order to know God. The mindset of legalism and works, to gain favour, if you like, with God. And then I just want to spend a moment reminding us of the wonderful truth that we are chosen. That each one of us, because of God's glorious grace, are chosen by God. That we are a chosen people. That we're never chosen because of anything any merit, gift, or skill that we show, we're chosen because of our free will to put our faith in the saving work of Christ and nothing else. So that's where we're going this morning. Is that okay? So, first of all, let's look at the scripture. So, if we turn to Acts 15, I'm going to be reading from verse 1. <clears throat> and if you want to follow, it will come up on the screen as well. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must 
be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. If you remember when we looked at Acts 10, God appeared to Peter and it gave Peter a vision of a sheet filled with lots of animals. And straight after that, Peter went to Cornelius' house and the first Gentiles that he saw come to faith in Christ. In verse 8, God, Peter says this, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. You know, we're living in exciting days that the Holy Spirit dwells in his people. And here we are in the book of Acts when we see the Holy Spirit imparting and impacting people's lives in a powerful way. And for the Jews, this was a big thing, that the Holy Spirit was coming on Gentile people. God, in fact, Cornelius was a God-fearing man. And the whole of his household and his friends were gathered and the Holy Spirit fell on these people. And Peter was there and witnessed this. God was doing an amazing thing. And Peter witnessed this. And here he is talking of this experience. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit. Just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers been able to bear? No, he says. Exclamation mark. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. There we are. The key verse of this passage. Let's look at it again. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. What a wonderful truth. Faith in Christ enables us to be saved. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Amazing miracles that God was doing among the Gentiles. And when they finished, so we've had Peter, we've had Barnabas and Paul. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I, <clears throat> and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. They have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, says James, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Amen.
Just keep that for a moment. So we see here, and in fact throughout history, that God is more interested in the heart than he is anything else. God is interested in the heart of the people, the Gentiles. Cornelius, as I said, was a God-fearing man, a Roman centurion. And he was interested in the heart than anything else. Peter notes in verse 9, as I just read, that, he made no, that God makes no distinction between us, the Jews, and the Gentiles. For he purifies their hearts by faith. God loves us. And he wants us to give him our hearts. You know, he wants us to give him the things that we find difficult. Things that we fear. And things that make us feel angry. You know, your week can be filled with lots of things that can stir up all sorts of reactions in you. And God wants us to know that he is with us amongst everything that we experience and go through. And he's interested in our hearts and our heart's response to when things happen. We are God's chosen people and he has said he will be with us. And we see in this passage that that is very much drawn out that Jesus is the one in in which we find hope, we find strength, And we find comfort. But as we look at this passage, there were some that found it difficult. Some of these, if you like, hardline Jews who find it difficult to trust just in the saving worth of Christ. They perhaps hadn't had the revelation that Paul had, blinded on the road. They hadn't had the vision like Peter that led him to Cornelius' house. These men were teaching that unless you abide by the law or carry out the law of Moses, you can't be saved. I mean, in essence, these men were saying that believing in Christ and following him was not enough to be the people of God. But why? Why were these people so passionate about it? Well, the law was very important to them. You know, they trusted in the law of Moses for for generations. You know, the law of Moses is detailed in the word of God. Circumcision was a covenant between God and his people. In Genesis 17, it it says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. It was their heritage. It was where... A lot of the Jews found their identity. It was a challenge for them to let go of being identified with the law. It's a challenge for them. It's a challenge for them to begin to walk in the freedom that grace offers. The grace of being a son or daughter of God rather than a slave or a servant. Imagine like being, you know, I had this picture of imagining being in a cage all of your life. It's a bit like that. You know, they followed this book. They followed the rules. They followed the law. 
And then all of a sudden, they're told, actually, there's a better way. Imagine being in a cage all of your life and being told, hold on a minute, I'm just going to open the door for you and you can fly. You're free to go. Or imagine like building your life around a system or structure of rules and regulations and your life is all established on these things. You know, these are the things that are important. And someone comes along and says, you don't, you don't need all these things anymore. They're great. They worked. But there's a greater and more wonderful way and powerful way and a way that you can experience joy and freedom and hope. You can, you can step away from that, that shack and come into this beautiful, wonderful garden. Life of freedom in knowing God's grace. You know, that actually can be a bit scary. Almost too good to be true. Walking into the complete freedom of knowing God's faithfulness and grace. But you know, it's the best decision you could ever make. You know, already God may have put some, you know, something in your heart of saying, you know, God, I know it's right to give this to you to trust you for this. Give me the confidence to walk in freedom. You know, I'm reminded of the Israelites when they, when they left Egypt. You know, they'd been in bondage for many years. They'd spent generations living as slaves, subjected to the pharaohs, building the pyramids. They were slaves. They were slaves. But God set them free. God brought them out of Egypt by a series of miracles. God's power was demonstrated as they walked through that Red Sea. But then it took them 40 years in the wilderness to really know what it meant to be free. Hopefully it won't take us 40 years but it took them 40 years to, be, to work out what it was to be children of an inheritance. To be the children, the chosen people of God. It took them a long time to work it out. They were so used to being slaves. They were so used to being slaves to a dictator. Being slaves to the pharaoh. In fact, some of them wanted to go back. I, I can't. The freedom is too good. It's too free. They wanted to go back. Exodus 16 talks, if only, they, they say, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. It's sometimes easier to go back to what you know than pressing forward into what God has for you. Pressing forward can take courage and, well, trust in each other and God, that God will take us and lead us. God is a loving Father. The one thing that Colin said earlier. He's a loving father. He's with us. He's for us. He's always been a loving father. And he speaks of acceptance and calling to our hearts. God has called each one of us to see his purposes outworked. Are there cages that that God is wanting us to fly from? that we put around ourselves or things that we believe about ourselves that aren't true. You know, the law is important. We need laws to protect us, 
to help us function as a civilized society. But these men in Acts 15, these men that come from Judea, these men that say that um, Gentiles have to be circumcised and they have to obey the law of Moses. You know, they're not interested in the law. They are interested in using the law for their own ends. They're interested in using the law to justify their own salvation. In other words, legalism. They're using legalism as a way of justifying their own salvation. John Piper says this, legalism is not simply the pursuit of the law. It's pursuing the law in the wrong way, with some other engine other than faith. The law of God should be pursued. The Son of God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We walk according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in each one of us. That's the truth. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's the truth. We are walking testimonies of the amazing grace of God that God would reveal himself to us that we are children of God, that we have received the Spirit and we should seek to fulfill the law by the Spirit. Legalism does not bring life. The Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings life to all who live by him. In 2 Corinthians 3.6, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. You know, we've had a prophetic picture. We changed our name to River Church because we see ourselves as a church teeming with life. The Spirit gives life. Each one of us is a bearer of God's spirit. You know, and we, I, I just feel, you know, excited about where God is taking us as a church. You know, that there is so much more life in each one of us. You know, I, there's a sense, I just, um, during the worship, there's a picture I felt of like the, this um, volcano or magma under the surface. You know, I just see magma in this church, under the surface, that each one of us, that there is more to each one of us that God would want to outwork. That almost like there's going to be an eruption of God's presence, of God's kingdom, in each of one of our hearts as we look to him. And it's exciting as God does that. You know, sometimes it could be messy. Sometimes it will be Sort of all, anything could, could happen in God's ways and methods. God doesn't do things the same way twice. And I'm excited to think about how God wants to outwork his purposes in us as a church, as River Church. And, yeah. Well, there's more I can say on that. But it's, do, do you get my, 
Excitement about where each one of us is at and what God has for each one of us in his purposes. Now, looking again at legalism, I read this this week, a recent online post. It says this, and I wonder how much you agree with this. The legalist thinks that he's able to commend himself to God by his own good deeds. Invariably, he is only looking at externals, not at his heart. Also, the legalist's pride motivates him to exalt himself in the sight of others by his own outward behavior, again neglecting to see the corruption of his own heart. Thus, legalism denies human depravity and exalts human ability. As such, it's opposed to the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace, that everything comes from God. Every good work, everything that we do comes from God. Romans 2.28. Paul talks to the Romans not of external circumcision, as we see here, but of internal circumcision of the heart. Not by the written code, but by the Spirit of God. God is interested in the heart. You know, the law, we've said, it's important. Also, again in Romans, we read it's holy in chapter 7. It's spiritual. But the law does not and cannot and will not ever be the means by which God justifies and redeems us. Now, what do you think of this statement? Okay, perhaps I should have put it up on the PowerPoint. Okay, so list this. The harder I work to be more like Christ the closer I will be in seeing God's kingdom come. Do you agree with that statement? On the surface, that statement sounds great. You know, as a person here, passionate for God, working harder to be more like Christ. But is it? It's subtle, but it's revealing something about our hearts. Actually, we don't need to work harder to be more like Christ. You know, it talks about in Ephesians that we are like Christ, that we are seated with Christ. You know, I saw an illustration this week of a jug of water with a a cup put in the jug of water, well, filled with water, and then that cup was placed into the jug of water, illustrating that Christ is in us, but we are in Christ. You don't need to work harder to be like Christ. Christ is in us. In fact, what we probably need to look more into, which was referred to even in the worship this morning, is that we need to surrender all that isn't like Christ in our lives. All that isn't like Christ in our lives. We need to surrender to him in order that we might see more of God's kingdom come. Are you tempted to look on what you've achieved, what you've done as a way of justification before God, rather than looking on Christ and what he has done? And I just want to ask the question, is there anything that God wants you to surrender to him today that you might reflect more of the glory of Christ? Something you might give him rather than something you might do for him. Something you might give him rather than something you might do for him.
Maybe it's a trust for an area of your life. Maybe it's your um, frustration with unanswered prayers. Maybe it's something that you've been living with, a difficult situation that's happened this week. My encouragement to you is give it to Christ because he is full of grace and compassion and love and peace and he wants you to know that for your given situation. He's faithful and we're his people. We are a chosen people, dearly loved. So legalism, not good. But what is good is the grace of God. The men of Judea tried to insist that to be saved, you needed to obey the law and be circumcised. don't know how many times I'm going to have to say that this morning. But the apostles and elders were having none of it. They weren't having any of it. There was lots of discussion in this time together. But they came to the conclusion that to belong to God's family, to be God's chosen people, all that was required was to receive God's gift of his son, Jesus. To have faith in the saving work of Christ alone. You know, what a wonderful relief that we are here today based on God's work, not our own. You know, and I really feel God wants us to um, just spend a few more moments looking at and knowing in our hearts the grace of God, to be reminded of the grace of God. And I'm going to do this by pointing out three elements of God's saving grace from this passage. And we call it grace cubed. Firstly, the first dimension, if you like, of grace. Grace initiated. God initiated the idea that we would receive salvation through Christ. It was God's idea from the beginning. It was his choice to use Peter in the vision that he gave Peter to reveal to Peter that the gospel was for every single person who believed and trusted in Christ. God initiated it. And we can see that from this passage today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Grace is so awesome. It's so incredible. It's so outrageous that this wonderful gift of grace is for every one of you. And it's God's idea. God initiated it. It was God's plan. You know, God who knows our hearts, he knows how open we are to to lying, to, to cheating, to sinning. He knows us, yet he chose to accept us. It was his idea to help us and to give us Jesus 
that we might know him. His eternal plan was for a relationship with us. And this is his plan all along. So God initiated it. 1 Peter 1 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on his grace. Jesus was never an afterthought of God's plan. And the second dimension of grace is grace abounds. There is no favoritism in the kingdom of heaven. Grace abounds to all. We are all accepted and loved and treasured the same. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're accepted and treasured the same as Peter, as Paul? Every single believer in Christ is accepted and loved. Peter said of God in uh, in verse 9, He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. God sees beyond our failings and failures. You know, he's an awesome God. He sees beyond those. Grace abounds. If you've ever disqualified yourself because of things that you've done, then today is today to make a stand, to say, I'm not going to allow that to disqualify myself. To speak out. To speak out. You know, I did also feel as I was preparing for this, that there are some that God wants to encourage you to speak out more about what God's put on your heart. You know, there's a, you know, that magma needs to come out, and the way it comes out is by speaking out the truths of God. You know, here in this council, you know, it was good that these guys, these Jewish Pharisees, challenged this in this council. Because it enabled these apostles and elders to say, actually, it is just by grace that you receive salvation. My encouragement is to, that I feel God wants us to speak out more about the truths and the love and the power of God. Because God wants us to hear him more. I think as we speak out, God can use us as his channels for his grace for those around us. It's exciting, isn't it? Nothing disqualifies you. If you ever feel that you've been disqualified, today's the day to make a stand. You know, all God sees when he looks at you is pure gold. Because Christ has just totally washed you clean. Pure gold. You're special. And grace abounds. You know, grace abounds in each one of us. And and the testimonies that we declare speak of that. You know, as we see in this chapter, the assembly was, was silent as Barnabas and Paul told of all that God had done. The miracles, the signs and wonders. It's hard to deny that God is good and full of grace when we hear of what he's doing by the Spirit. We're all living testimonies of God's grace. And finally, the third dimension of God's grace from this passage is grace confirmed. The word of God confirms God's grace. That this grace is something that is not for the select few 
or even those that follow certain rules, or even those that are of a certain background. But it's a grace for all who receive Christ. And James makes it clear that he wants to make it easy as possible for any who seek to trust and follow Jesus. As he goes on as well to say in verse 15, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. James, the one who's considered perhaps the leader of this Jerusalem church, takes all that's been said throughout the whole discussions, what Peter has said, what Barnabas and Paul has said, and expresses his absolute belief that from the apostolic evidence to the prophetic word of God, that Gentile Christians now belonged to the true Israel. They were included in the people of God. They were part of God's chosen people. And so are we. Isn't that exciting? We are part of the wide family of God who exists all over this planet. Across every nation, a people that trust and believe in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. So it was a complete mindset shift for some of these early believers, but one in which we must continue to fight for time and time again. You know, this year, 2017, celebrates the 500 years since the articles, the Reformation articles were posted, that Luther posted on the door of the church. And one of the main points of those articles is that we are justified by faith, by faith alone and trust in Jesus Christ. Even the church hasn't always got it right. We have to fight for this because it's counter-thinking, if you like. It's opposite to what we think. We don't deserve this. We can easily disqualify ourselves. But it's an important truth that we need, we, we need to grasp because we receive by faith the goodness of God. He is such a lavish God. Nothing can take away his grace when we trust and receive Christ. So let's ensure we continue to grow in our understanding of God's grace that we too have received and that we share this grace with those around us. There's lots of ways that we can be people that demonstrate God's grace to those around us. You know, we are carriers of God's grace. The good news of the gospel is in our hearts. And, you know, this was a very significant part in the book of Acts because it made something very clear to the church. And it's interesting from this point, it's a very crucial point in the book of Acts, where from this moment, the focus moves away from Jerusalem and Peter. In fact, Peter's not mentioned again in the rest of the book of Acts. We're looking at Paul and his missionary journeys throughout Asia, moving into Rome and other parts where the gospel spreads throughout this surrounding area. And God wants us to be grace bearers for those in our communities, those we see and meet 
around us. Can we stand? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to um, have some worship um, in terms of responding to what God might have said to us this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, Lord, which is so abounding. It's so awesome. It's so wonderful. And we love you for it. Thank you, Lord, for it. Just pray now, Lord. Just settle in our hearts that wonderful truth that we are your children, that we've received your grace, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.